0: Welcome to Make Your Move, the podcast designed to help you get on the property ladder and then figure out what the hell you're doing once you're on there. From deposits to mortgages, surveys to moving day, we can help. Make Your Move is brought to you by Really Moving, the price comparison site for moving home services. Let's get into our episode. So when it comes to affordability there's often that feeling of what's the point we talked about it last week with that feeling that deposits take a very long time to build up if you haven't got any help they can feel a little bit overwhelming and the ons data from 2020 shows quite a difference in the average savings based on age so for under 25s it's almost two and a half grand in savings um 25 to 34 three and a half grand and it's really only when you get above 55, that the average person has over £20,000 in savings.
1: Is any of that surprising? I think so. I don't have a lot of savings, but I thought everyone else did.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, though. You think everyone else is better off, and that kind of adds to the perception that you're doing terribly, whereas I think everyone is kind of, well, not everyone, but most people are kind of in the same boat. I mean, this is average, so obviously it's not taking into account some people have more, some people have less, but it, it does show that it's most people.
0: Well, they also put a note in that research that of the people between 22 and 29, about 40% have no savings at all. So actually, it's the average gives a general idea, but 40% of people having no savings can be a bit overwhelming, I guess, to think one day I want to own a home and then actually you're not making any steps towards it. So what I would say is the time is going to pass anyway. <laughs> so you may as well do something that sort of gets you going in the right direction. And we've talked a bit about saving deposits. The trifecta includes your deposit, your income and the property price. So those are three things basically that we can turn the dial on up or down, change them and that can give you a little bit more control over an affordability score. Have you guys thought about affordability before? Obviously you are in different stages of wanting to own homes but what did you think of when you heard the word affordability?
2: Just that I couldn't afford probably. <laughs> I think that's just um, the thing. It's like when you, uh, you hear about buying a house it just seems... Like it's going to be really expensive and I don't have enough money. I think that's the immediate jolt that most people go for, especially people in that bracket with less savings than other people. The
1: idea of living alone sounds lovely, but I've always had this sort of acceptance that I will eventually have to live with someone, whether it be friends or a partner. So it's waiting for that to roll around. But it's an awkward thing to chat about if they're not sure and you're really keen. They're going to listen to this. but yeah so it's 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 saving where you can finding those avenues and then also living with someone it makes a huge difference in terms of how much you're spending and how much or how much in terms of savings you need
0: well and also how much you have to work with because mortgages are based on income so if you've got two incomes to put together that makes it a lot more workable which is why it is so much harder to get a mortgage as a single person which kind of sucks
2: yeah I think the defeatist angle that I mentioned is probably what stops people from going there. They're like, oh, it's so expensive and I can't afford it now. I'll never be able to afford it. But you know, you never know. If you start saving now, there's still a possibility that you won't save up enough for a long time. But you might end up saving more than you expected to, especially if you manage to follow our saving advice.
0: So yes, we've mentioned before about being huge fans of the Lysa. And that is probably the one thing that you can do most easily is to open that and start using it. Because as they say, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. And the second best time is today which is cheesy, but gets the point across. The time is going to pass anyway. So you may as well, whether it's two pound a week, whatever, just set up what you can afford and forget about it and let it grow and do its thing. I think as well. I have friends and family who've got to the point where they've saved a lot. Like they have a significant sort of savings pot for a deposit, but it still feels quite out of reach. And they get to the point where they just go, oh, screw it. You know, I'm going on holiday or I'm going to, do this, or I'm going to buy myself something nice, or I'm, you know, I'm going to live my life. And what's the point? And I think, oh, you've already done most of the hard work. <laughs> don't do that. Like, obviously, enjoy a holiday if you want a holiday, but don't spend the money just because it's there. And I know you ca- can feel like you're chasing the house prices go up, and you keep saving, and your saving isn't as quick as the house prices going up. But things will even out, and there are opportunities, as we're going to talk about with property expert Kate Faulkner in our third episode about how to find diamond um, in the rough properties, which doesn't mean they're rubbish. It just means She is very, very good at finding things that are a little bit cheaper or in your price bracket that you wouldn't have normally found on on Zoopla or Rightmove. So she's brilliant. She's so great. There is hope. The whole point of this podcast is that there is hope.
2: So what is the affordability trifecta? There are three main things that impact your ability to buy a property, and that's the deposit, how much income you have, and the price of the property itself. Uh, There are other things like credit scores and things that have a little impact, but these are the three main things that affect your affordability.
1: From the outside, these can look impossible. So when we look at the data, the average UK first time buyer deposit is for the whole country. £61,000. In London, it jumps up to £115,759, which is actually a decrease of 15% from 2020, where it was
2: £130,281. Small amounts of money, just...
1: <laughs> I know, first-time buyers. Um, we'll see. Anyway, in other places that uh, are popular or coming up in terms of places to live in the UK, like Manchester, we're looking at about £28,000 for a first-time buyer deposit. Birmingham, 32,000. Southampton, 35,250. This, when you look at the average savings that people have in the first-time buyer range, which is now in the 30s, we're looking at about £3,544 in your savings. So not quite there for the average person. Property prices do feel like they're spiralling, especially after the pandemic. And we often look at these places and go, you're asking how much? for that. But when looking at these things, please don't be afraid. Drops aren't particularly noticeable when it's not a crash, but prices are normalising. These things are changeable. Just think of each of them on a sliding scale. So you have control over one, which impacts the other. And we'll talk about that more now. When
0: we talk about how affordability works, let's work backwards from you seeing a property that you like. So that's probably how some people do it, is they'll be looking on Rightmove or Zoopla and seeing a property that they like and trying to figure out if they can afford it. So you see a property for £250,000 that you want to buy. Yeah, I know that is quite affordable, but let's work with it. So 10% deposit, £25,000. Simple enough maths for now. So that means you need a mortgage for the remaining £225,000. So firstly, are you going to be approved for that? Well. Ignoring debts and bad credit and other things like that, which we will talk about in our mortgage episode in a couple of weeks, and generally assuming that you're financially secure, our rule of thumb is that a lender will will lend you 4.5 times your income. So we divide that 225000 by 4.5, we get 50 grand. So that's where your income needs to be to afford that loan. If you're splitting it with a partner, you're earning 25k each happy days, it all works apart from the deposit, which would still be 25 grand. And obviously we talked about deposits last week. So go back and have a look at that if you need some more ideas. So that's the affordability trifecta. Property price, income and deposit, and all of them can be changed, adapted and have an impact on each other. So you have a smaller deposit, you increase your income. Neither of those work, you lower the property price and look for something cheaper. So in each situation, you have the control. And we're going to go into each of these ones a little bit more. Income here is what allows us to get a mortgage. We often look at our careers as something separate from our lifestyles. I I wouldn't say that I'm I'm looking at my career as a way to increase my chance to get on the property ladder, but there is a tie here. I mean, is it something you guys have considered?
1: I have, for sure. I came from a job where I was paid less and was on-site in London regularly in the week so a lot of my money was going to my means to get to work and I wasn't able to save very much at all and then moving to my new job I'm able to work from home a lot more even if I don't need to it's local luckily I'm able to drive as well so a lot less money is going towards actually working because nobody really wants to pay to work do they so yes there was an element of choosing the job that I'm in to affect my my prospects when it comes to eventually moving out it absolutely plays a part not the major part but it's it's a perk quite early stages in terms of career but i know that at this stage i'm not looking to buy but eventually as i develop myself and save and look into these schemes that we, we spoke about at length in the last episode it is it isn't at the forefront of my mind but it's certainly near it the reason i want to develop my career if there were say there's a trifecta of reasons. One of those of the three would be to move out and buy a home. So yeah, it plays a part.
2: Yeah, I think for me when I got my job, it wasn't originally about any any kind of property or buying or anything. It's just I wanted to, I needed a job. <laughs> so it's about getting getting on that, that ladder. But yeah, as my as my um you know, as I've got like promotions and like my salary's gone up, it has started to translate into like what can I use this increased money for I think for me mostly it went to like what can I afford to rent now and obviously I started renting but there you know there is that element of like what can you use your salary your salary increases like how can you put that into something important rather than just being like, now I can buy more drinks at the club. And yeah, I think, I think it's important to have that thought in your head. What's, what's the benefit of this other than just having more money? What can you do with this now?
0: Yeah, so it's also about earning potential. The advantage is if you're looking at buying in five years time or whatever, you can try and plot your income to be at that point that you need to be at when you want to buy a home. So in line with the deposit savings, you can be trying to increase your own value in terms of training and learning and planning when you're going to move up. I'm not sure people way back when had to think like this. I feel like people who got into their lifetime jobs probably stayed at the same wage for quite a long time and still managed to buy homes. And that wasn't the case anymore. So I'm going to say it now that I think it sucks. We need to earn so much more than our parents and grandparents to get on the ladder. It sucks that we need to indulge side hustle culture and second jobs when our parents had average wages for one job and could afford a home. Some of them on their own in their 20s. Does
1: anyone have a side hustle?
0: I mean, I write books. I wouldn't say how successful a side Sometimes that's a successful side hustle. Sometimes it's not. Well, it's passive income, which is what the, high, the height of a side hustle is passive income that you've worked for it once and you make money on it multiple times a lot of those corporate bro kind of books are about making money while you sleep so if you've made something that you can sell a bunch of times like a book or a course. I run workshops and I used to do tutoring a lot. That was an, like a fairly good side hustle. But again, we've talked about the fact that you also need to have a life. And if you're spending all of your time just trying to make money and not spending anything and just trying to get a deposit, it's a bit heartbreaking.
2: If you want to do a side hustle, it has to be something that you enjoy doing in your spare time and not something you're like, like, oh, I guess I can do this to get, make some money. If like you have a little thing you enjoy and you could make money off of it, I think it's worth trying it. But don't do something you hate because then you'll just be working all the time and never having the enjoyment.
0: My aunt bought a little flat to herself, a beautiful little flat to herself when she was in her 20s. Just decided to move out, lived there for a few years before she got married and then sold it and bought a house. Like she could, on like an average job, it wasn't like a big fancy career job. It was it was like secretarial work or something, you know, that she didn't feel was, was gonna be a big corporate ladder moment. So it's madness and it is unfair and it's okay to be annoyed. But unfortunately, in this situation, if you want the spoils, you've got to play the game, even if the cards are decked against you. We've talked about training and increasing your value as an employee or as a worker. I think having a very clear, not a very clear career plan, but a goal of where you'd like to be what you want your income to be what you think is appropriate if it's a title change it's always good to go and have a look at what those tasks are included in that role and then you can kind of upskill yourself to meet them to prove that you can do the role when the time comes
2: and don't be afraid to ask for a raise if you think you deserve one if you've been there long enough don't obviously don't just like come in and like one month in go i need a raise. But if you think you've been working hard enough, don't be afraid to ask.
0: Yeah, there's some really good resources as well on things like LinkedIn about how to show your worth. And I think something I've said to both of you guys is to keep a list or a file of the things you achieve at work so you can show what you've been doing and, and kind of make a good argument for raises and things when the time comes. I mean, I've started doing that. It was a really good piece of advice I saw on LinkedIn. Because, yeah, going in and going, actually, I need a raise because the cost of living is very high and I don't have enough money isn't really the approach. But showing... Your value, what you're achieving, what the impact is, um, is always a good way to go. Also, gender wise, women don't tend to ask for raises as much. They also don't tend to go for jobs where they aren't as qualified, whereas men tend to go for the jobs, even if they're not really qualified for them. And then often do negotiate on wage. You know, there was a lot about the pay gap um, in the news recently, again, and that is part of it. So
2: walk through life with the confidence of an average man.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, also, if you're not someone who would apply for something because you don't feel you're qualified in it, then at least spend the time investing in yourself to learn. And if you do feel like a qualification or something like that is going to help you, then that is investing in yourself.
2: You could think about getting a new job, looking for something with high pay, something that you could move up to. The the only issue with that is that you can't really buy immediately after getting a new job because that can cause issues with mortgage deposit. You have to get through probation and all that and make sure you're on a steady wage. Where sometimes you can move to a new job and then not last very long. So mortgage places prefer you to have been at a job for at least a year, I'd say. So if you do want to get a new job, be aware that you maybe can't buy straight away. But if you're planning to buy years down the line, then it's definitely worth thinking about. That's a
0: really, really good point. Yeah. Yeah I mean also there's the case of is now the time to completely pivot in your career if you're not doing something that is a long-term career or you know will pay you well in the future at all and if you don't particularly enjoy it take this as an opportunity to kind of reset and think actually I want to go in this direction this is going to make me the money that I want it's going to give me the life I want and similarly to what Jez said about starting a new job if you are going self employed or you are starting a business you'll actually need three years I think worth of proof of income for a mortgage if you are going self-employed so give yourself enough time to grow and do that or or wait and do it afterwards but that will impact your mortgage application so had you guys thought about a bit affordability before about how much the bank would lend you? Is this something you were aware of, you'd wondered about?
1: I think my thought process was there's potential that I could maybe find somewhere nice, a small place for myself and and be able to, to buy. But it's the after and keeping up with mortgage on top of bills, especially now, council tax, food, everything else. And then I know that I would probably be left with very little to like we say live rather than just be alive so at this stage like we've just talked about where I'm going to develop myself and my career and my earnings and my plans and things before I move out because when I buy a place I want to be able to enjoy it and not just have it for the sake of it so rent might be a better option first if I'm if I'm desperate to leave at some point but in terms of buying I haven't thought about my personal situation deeply in terms of buying a home it's not really on the high on the radar at the moment but Had you also just assumed that it wasn't possible at this point anyway? Yeah, I think so. I think everyone in my sort of circle is is in the same boat. We're all sort of what's gonna happen I was having a conversation with my brother yesterday actually and his wife was saying oh he he wants you to move out and he doesn't understand why I haven't my brothers are much older than me about 15 years 16 years older um, and he talks about me buying a flat in St and I had to explain to him how different it is now but I feel like I have to do that with a lot of people which we have talked about before a lot of people who are a bit older than me don't quite get it so no in answer to the in very long answer to this question I haven't thought deeply about My affordability and how I can get there. But subconsciously, I've been thinking about how I can improve my financial situation. So, therefore, potentially I have, but I haven't thought about how a mortgage lender would look at me specifically yet.
2: Yeah, when I was thinking about potentially buying, it was a lot of crunching numbers and being like, how much could I actually afford on the income? And would they, could I afford a place? And obviously, ultimately, I decided probably not. And renting was probably my better option unless I wanted to be buying for a while. But it's, yeah, it's definitely something I've. Been thought, so I haven't thought I could maybe think about it again soon.
0: There's a lot of assumption there. The problem is, people can start working on their deposit and focus on that, which is amazing, but then haven't potentially considered that their income is going to be a factor. And obviously, it's incredibly unfair if you're a single person who would like to buy a home that you have to almost completely have to be dependent on someone else. You have to be in a relationship, which may put pressure on a new relationship based on the timings if you're ready to move out, or if you want to buy with a sibling or a friend. Is that a little bit too much pressure? It's a huge deal to make the biggest purchase of your life with someone. Yeah, I mean, would you guys consider buying with a friend or is it important to buy alone or would you wait and buy with a partner when the time's right? I think I'd love to
1: live alone. I think I'd enjoy it, but I, I don't think I'd do it for long. I th- I I'd, Ideally, in an ideal world, I'd love to have like a flat to myself for at least a year and then move in with a partner or a friend i suppose if if everyone if, if you have a 50k income even two of you are earning 25 it's not too bad you can get a respectable home we talked about how speaking to your friends about it all of my friends have different paths i don't know where they want to live some of them went to uni in the north and they want to go back north eventually so i don't want to buy a place with them and like guilt trip them into that um and sort of hold them back maybe renting but buying with a friend, I think in terms of life, life prospects, I have, I have no idea where they'll be or where I'll be. So it's, it's a difficult one.
2: For me, I don't think I mind renting a loan. I don't personally want to buy a loan. I, 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 I could do it. But like the whole finances that I'd really like someone else to be able to lean on in terms of finances and sorting it all out because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not very confident in my own ability to do it by myself which I think is just something. And I don't think there's any prospect of me having a partner to move in with anytime soon. Yeah, not, not in like a no one loves me kind of way. It's just like, I'm, I'm single right now and I'm not really li- looking for anyone.
0: It's a big commitment.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm not, you have to be like, in a very committed position and like, that's, I'm not going to be like, I need a boyfriend so I can find a house.
1: <laughs>
2: so yeah, the, if I've wanted to buy with someone now, it would have to be a friend. And I think I have actually mentioned it to a friend before, but I just, I think, it's a big thing to do with a friend and you have to be entirely sure. And I don't think any of my friends are like keen for that, which is, fair. I mean, a lot of my friends are in relationships anyway, so that's they're, they're, they're buying with someone. They'll be buying with their partners.
0: There was a kind of big trend a couple of years ago where everyone started talking about buying with friends and buying with more than one friend, you know, if you split it three ways with three of you. But the complexity, firstly, mortgage advisors, Mortgage people don't really want to lend to more than three of you. It gets really complicated. There's so many variables. Have you all got the same deposit? Are you all going to stay there for about five years? You know, you've got to start having rules about if you hate their partner who comes over or, or who's allowed to stay or do you want a pet? It suddenly becomes this very clinical sort of rule-based System where because you've all invested in this thing, you have to kind of figure out the rules. It just seems a bit hard. I mean, I know people people tend to buy with siblings as well sometimes if they all want to move out at the same time. I guess that's a little less of a jump because you're probably used to living with a sibling. But I mean, I imagine the bank of mum and dad is getting a double hit for that one. So, but yeah, obviously I think it's a good point to not get into a relationship just to have someone to buy a home with. But it's much harder to buy by yourself unless you've got a brilliant job and have been great about saving or you've had help for that deposit. The chances of buying a loan as an adult are quite slim. Unless you move somewhere completely different and start over and have a remote, well-paid job that you don't have to travel for and don't spend anything. It used to be very normal for young people to be able to buy their own homes by themselves and be independent. So it is a little bit of a shame that we have to consider affordability by sort of depending on others. But like you say, Jez, there's the advantage of having someone else to go through the process with and support each other and finances and help.
2: I don't know anyone who's bought by themselves buying alone would be much too stressful for me i'd hate it i'd be like i don't know what i'm doing i need someone else to lean on and like read the documents over with me knowing that it's not all on me financially and like to sign off on everything it's just like that would be a way off me
1: 38% of adults consider buying with friends, which I think is interesting, due to affordability and not having a partner to purchase with, which you can see on our website, really moving. So it is something that people are considering, quite a, quite a large number, but I suppose you would just have to have that certain relationship where you can handle
2: that. Uh, there's a difference between, like friendship relationships and relationship relationships are very, are not as, like friends come and go sometimes and that's fine. And like, you don't have to be as committed. And I think even for like a mortgage people, they wouldn't see that they might not, trust a relationship is going to between friends is going to stay as solid as like a marriage or a couple which you know may not be true you may be like really good friends and your friends may outlast your relationships but <laughs> sometimes friends just fall out I think what we say is a house is at least a five year commitment so you have to be sure that you are still going to be friends with them in five years and they might want to go off and do their own thing or like have a partner that you don't like and then you're going to end up <laughs> not liking each other and you've both got this commitment to a house so it's, it's, it's a bit more choppy changey I think a friend but it's doable
0: it also doesn't break down the age of these adults who've been asked so it could be that actually your friends in your late 30s and you've never managed to make it onto the ladder and you've just kind of gone oh for God's sake now's the time we've been friends a long time we're in the same situation we're going to you know be here so much of sort of life events is about being in the right place at the right time with the right person maybe yeah if a few of you do want to buy later in say so later in life 30s is not later in life if the average first-time buyer is 30 something 33 sort of late 30s early 40s maybe you want to buy with your friends maybe that's the kind of people they've been asking
2: but I didn't think about that is that like when when you, we kept saying this I was just thinking buying with one friend and I realized as you just mentioned it could be a bunch of you and that I think would be better it's not just relying on one other person that might flip out but it's a, a group could work
0: but you've got to work out an exit strategy if one of them does want to leave you have then got to buy them out or you've got to sell or you've got to rent out their room that they still own that portion and the more people the the more cooks it gets a little bit complicated but yeah on the other hand you've got a little bit more to depend on and some people have rented with friends for years and years and years and had no problems so why not take one step up let's start with property price the first part of the trifecta you do actually have choice here even if it feels like you don't we compromise for rental properties all the time and unfortunately you probably will need to compromise on your first home so consider what you really want from a property and break it down into the non-negotiables and nice to haves for example flats are always cheaper than houses pretty much that's your first easy compromise if you really want to get on the ladder but if you want to be near the city centre because you need to get the train to work can you look 20 minute walk further out are you even gonna be working in that place in three or four years can you just deal with a slightly more inconvenient commute for a little bit if it's a more affordable house or flat i am not telling you to pick a home you hate but it's not going to be your forever home it's just your first step on the ladder so don't buy something awful and obviously we will talk about surveyors and getting all your conveyancing checks done and you know don't buy something that's a money pit that's going to really damage your income or cost lots of money do your research but it doesn't have to be perfect i know especially when people have waited much longer and they've saved for a very long time it feels very precious to have have saved this huge amount of money and sort of sacrificed and then choose something that they're not completely in love with but if you can make a few compromises it will make it easier to get on the ladder and then to move on.
2: And I think also that money isn't wasted because that money you put in the house is, is in that house now you're still using that money when you buy a new one.
0: Yeah it's your equity it's your investment it still stays there especially if you've picked a good property that will hopefully grow in value long term and you treat it well and you look after it. Also there is the option so there are different mortgages that allow you to do this where you could buy a two bed flat and then rent out one of the rooms so you could rent to a friend or you could rent to a lodger or if that's a way that would make it a little bit easier for you to survive with bills and the cost of the mortgage and things like that that is an option that some people go for
2: and the second point in the trifecta is the price that you see listed for a property isn't actually necessarily the price you're going to pay for it it's the starting bid you can negotiate a price to go up or down you'd want it to go down sometimes it does go up but you can negotiate a price to go down especially after you had like a survey or things and it's this can change based on multiple factors like if the property's been on sale for months or years and it's obviously it's priced too high and no one wants to buy it you can ask them to bring the price down because you have that evidence there and their situation might make things change like they're getting divorced and they need to move out quickly so they'll accept a lower offer to move on they've had sales fall through all things like that don't just look at a price and think oh i can't afford that think that is a starting point and i could maybe afford that but if i could bring it down that's something i could do and it also depends on the current market because average price has gotten down all the time and maybe right now it costs something but if the market changes it might go down later so it might just be a situation of sitting on it and waiting on that property to go down obviously don't wait forever if it's not changing move on look at property predictions if they're predicting the market's going to go down then maybe that price will go down too so be savvy about it
0: also just to jump in there. So most of these places, they're listed on, on a property portal. So always assume that you can go under a little bit. They've put up what they want. If they've been in stuck in a chain and they really need to sell because they need to buy their new property, there are options there that they will accept something lower. We will be talking to Kate Faulkner in our next episode about how to get a good deal using property portals and finding them. And she's an expert, at that sort of thing. So yeah, don't be put off by the price that's on a property portal. And remember that a property is really only worth what someone's willing to pay for it.
1: The third is the deposit. So we spoke about this in our first episode, so do definitely go and give that a listen. Saving a deposit is obviously quite the slog, very difficult, often time-consuming. Set up standing order, that automatically goes out on payday, so you don't have to think about it, you don't have to see it, and it's not as sad when it leaps. Get a lifetime ISA, obviously a favourite of ours. You can pay up to £4,000 a year if you're able to do the whole whack. That's amazing. If not, you can open it with a pound and you'll get 25% as a government bonus yearly on what you put in. So that means if you do put 4K in, you get 1K back from the government, which is great. If you can save more than £4,000 a year, so that's about £333 a month or other occasional income like a side hustle, put it in a high interest saver account that you can't touch. If you're buying with a partner, make sure that they're doing the same. They're also saving and it's not all on you. Have a clear goal. Be realistic about what you and they can afford. Give yourself a clear timeline. It's not an overnight thing. Remember, the time will pass anyway. So if you do have a game plan, lay it out with yourself or with your partner or with your friends if you want another 38%. And figure out what you can do. Consider some mortgages that will let you do a 5% deposit. So you could aim for that to start with. Some people do also move back in with their parents, which we also spoke about last week, which is a fantastic option, even if they are charging you rent. Um, it's often less than the average mortgage or landlord. Do that for about a year or two, save the rent and put that into a deposit if that is possible for you, or even just downgrade your rental property if that's also possible. There are Roundup apps, lots of banking apps include this now as a standard. It'll round up your spend to the nearest pound and save those pennies into a savings account for you. If you're someone who feels really rubbish at saving, this is a fantastic way of making it invisible. There are also side hustles, whether this be a creative outlet or something you like to spend time on. There's endless chats about these on the internet. Some financial influencers seem to do really well with them. I've always struggled to find value in filling out endless online questionnaires that take 20 minutes for 25 a pop. But things like cashback apps seem to be small but mighty long term. Other things like occasional market research studies or even UX research work can be well paid or if you've got a skill that you're happy to share, create some online guides, workshops, ebooks, tutoring or making clear to friends and family you're open to dog walking or house sitting gigs if they tell their friends. For some people transferring a hobby into a side hustle brings an extra level of joy and for those who for buying a home that it is their main goal or they're only a couple of grand away from being ready to do that, those extra jobs can feel really really empowering and make the endeavour a little bit more exciting because it's closer but if it's going to take you seven years to save we want to tell you it's okay to still have a life it's okay to enjoy time with your friends and not spend every moment scrimping and saving just find your own balance whatever works for you whether that be you on your own you and your friends or you and your partner start small even if you've never looked at that account as a valuable thing and when you check it after a year you might be pleasantly surprised
0: UX research actually is surprisingly well paid if you're someone with a decent sort of computer setup and you're happy to like look at websites and navigate around them and share your thoughts that's one of the ones I have found very good and yeah occasional market research they're sort of more one-off where you go and talk about a project or do a phone call those seem to be good little cash sort of top ups which as you say when you're really close to your goal and you just need that final bit or even the money for the move the conveyancing and all those extra bits and bobs little top ups are quite nice at making you feel like you've achieved something or similarly sell all your things on Vinted like I do. I, yes, I just agree. It's definitely okay to have a life. And if it takes a long time, that's all right. So should we talk about approaching affordability? Yeah. We've spoken about the deposit, we've spoken about price, and we've spoken about your income. So now it's just about how you feel about affordability. It's... Something that obviously is very relevant at the moment with the cost of everything, not just in property, but with the cost of living crisis. Affordability is being mentioned all the time. So it may not feel like it, but affordability does mean you've got options. When you start doing your calculations, it means you know what your likelihood is. It means you know what things you can change, what things you've got control over and which things you haven't. So we would always say, start with where you are. So an example would be Imogen. Imogen makes 35 grand a year. She's 28. She wants to buy on her own. She's saved for a deposit and she currently has 8,000 pounds. So well done, Imogen. That's awesome. She would currently be able to borrow £157,500. That's based on that 4.5 mortgage affordability that we worked out. That means she's about £7,000 off having a 10% deposit. If she manages that, she can look at properties worth over £170,000. So that's your affordability with no context, which doesn't sound like very much, but actually Imogen lives in Nottingham. So she's happy to stay there. There are properties around her price range. She's buying a loan, but she's also happy to get a studio, which means she has a lot of options. She can find a flat in Arnold that's just outside Nottingham for 90 grand. There's actually ones less than that when you have a look on Rightmove. She'll be approved for the mortgage, no problem. She'd just be £1,000 shy of the 10% deposit, but a mortgage broker could probably work with that wiggle room. There is a lot of movability when you talk directly to a mortgage broker to see what could work for you. So these are rules to give you an idea of where you are, but they're not set in stone. I can't believe you can get a flat for that little. That makes me furious. And they weren't horrible. They were nice. Some of them were by water. They had little balconies.
1: No, I guess it's not that bad. It's not going to be said, isn't
0: it? Yeah. No, seems nice. That's a nice place. Arnold is where my friends live. That's why I picked it as a... Wow. Yeah. But to be fair, they did that in their 20s. And now what? Like, what have they got to strive for? What have they got to moan
1: about? That must be really nice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so obviously Imogen started out looking at what money she had and then looked for somewhere she could buy with that but sometimes people do it in reverse let's look at it from the perspective of Dan um, he wants to buy a home in Brighton and he's seen a lovely two-bed flat and it's for £280,000 he loves it so much now 10% deposit on that would be 28000 and he has to be approved for a mortgage of 252000 because of that so he'd need to be earning around £56,000 a year which is uh, not a <laughs> small salary. Currently, he earns 29000 a year, and he has £3,000 saved. So, what he can do, first of all, is he could wait another four years, finish his training, he'll be fully qualified as a senior manager in his career, and then his wage could go up to about 40000 Still not exactly what he needs, but, you know, the market might be different in four years. It gives him more time to save, to add to those savings, which might bump him up to having the right amount to be in that bracket. Alternatively, he could buy with his friend. He has a friend called Beth, who makes 30000 a year, so that would reach the Affordability approval with both of their salaries combined. She's got ten thousand in savings, and it would still be a little support short of the deposit. Then, but they could talk to a mortgage advisor, and mortgage advisors always might want to help them and give them a better deal. Finally, he could look a bit further out. He doesn't have to get this specific flat that he's fallen in love with. It, even though he loves it so much, there could be a one-bed flat somewhere closer. He could choose something lower in price and then move up to a two bed later on when he saved more and he has a higher salary or meet someone else who he can buy with. That's a, that's a compromise for him. You know, it's not exactly what he wanted, but it might work out better in the end. And he could maybe eventually one day get that same place he was looking at or somewhere very similar.
1: It's worth trying both ways if you're working out your home ownership plan if you see something on the property portal that you like do the maths to see if it's viable and if it's not you can adjust your expectations look for something a little bit cheaper or explore what it would take for you to meet that by increasing your income and your deposit do you feel more in control or do you have a plan for saving or buying a rough timeline of where you'd like to be jez i imagine because andy you're already on the ladder. unless you want to move somewhere i'm interested to know
2: I don't really have a timeline, no, currently. <laughs> but right now, yeah, it's just savings. And like, you know, it's always about like, do I want to find somewhere? By my, we we talked about this earlier, about how like I'd rather buy with someone else. So that's more, it's hard to plan that kind of thing because I don't know where p- other people will be, people I know. So I think my plan is just keep saving. Don't touch my savings accounts until I'm ready to use it on a big purchase like a house or a flat. But yeah, knowing that, that there are options is helpful that doesn't make you feel less like it's never going to happen less out of control I think I think for me it's not about finding a place I like and then working backwards because that sounds stressful <laughs> I prefer the option of like seeing what I can afford and then seeing what's available based on that because I think if I saw someone re- somewhere really nice and realized I couldn't afford it I'd just be sad
0: <laughs> do you guys go on Zoopla and right move and like have a little nose
1: yeah not with much hope, but I do look because I want to know. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's 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 fun to go on there and look. Oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I could maybe afford that one if I shift things around. Um, and I think you end up finding there's a lot more variety in what's available in like just one area. You're like, oh... These are all in basically the same road, but they cost way different.
1: Yeah, sometimes there are areas that you haven't thought of that are completely applicable to you. I I would agree with you with the idea of working with what you've got or or working on that sort of roadmap and knowing or having an expectation of where you're going to be and then looking for what you can afford. Because when you go on super and things like that, you can put in the price range, can't you? So start with that rather than prettiest houses, because it is just depressing, isn't it? I think that's a great way of finding control, isn't it, is doing that that's the that's the control that you can have um knowing what you can do and going from there. It's different for me because I've only just moved jobs, so my finances and things have changed, so it would have changed recently. My saving methods would have changed as well, so it's definitely something that I'm considering doing now and then moving from there
0: I and mean, we talked a bit about people buying later in life, which makes more sense because savings and income increase, but that also means those entry level Properties aren't really being bought. You're probably not going to be in the same position. You're not going to want to buy a studio flat or a basement flat or something that actually when you were younger and you were just buying something to get on the ladder and it was affordable, that kind of would have been the right thing. There's also by nature, because property is an investor market, we do have to consider that property is an investment. It is equity so you have to kind of think about how you would sell it on when you move on which is the last thing you want to think about before you even bought a property is how you'd sell it or how you'd move on from it but if you buy something that's really hard to sell or that there is no market for you are going to have a hard time so you may get on the ladder with a yeah you you know you may meet someone and decide to buy a studio flat but then actually you're cramped and it's stressful for your relationship and it's you've got too much stuff and actually it's not a nice living experience and you try and sell it and no one who'd be willing to live there can afford it and no one who can afford to move, wants to live there. So there are issues with that. I live in a shared ownership property. So you can do a thing called staircasing. If you want to stay in a property, a shared ownership property long term, you can buy up more shares, which then makes the rent go down. It makes it more affordable. I actually don't think it's a great idea because these are designed to be affordable houses. So you are meant to sell them on to people who are also in the same position you are. <laughs> so if I own too much of it, it's going to be harder for me to sell it to someone who would qualify for it and can afford it. So it's actually just better to stick at the same amount and pay off my mortgage as much as possible. Well, I would say that's, again, that's a personal choice. I would have liked to have moved out in about five years, That based on working out a deposit and the fact that I want to stay in the area where I live in and I want to garden, that is very unlikely. We've, we've tried to push to seven years, but I do spend a lot of time looking at properties locally to see what's affordable and it can feel hard to move on like on one hand it's so lovely that you've managed to get onto this property ladder um, and we can definitely survive here for quite a few more years but you know I went to see a friend the other day who is renting a house for the same price that I'm you know have the, the rent and the mortgage for a flat and our flat is lovely but the sun was shining she has a garden she has shed for storage and okay it's not hers it's renting but there's actually a lot more space so I guess that's one of those things that flat versus house whether you feel more grown up
1: (laughs) <laughs> Is there anything that you would compromise to 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 make that seven years down to five again? That's a really good point. Um, I feel at this
0: point I've compromised enough. I compromised on this place, so in that case, I kind of things that are ideal for me about that next move. They would have. There would have to be a garden. There would have to be parking. I could potentially. Ideally, I'd have a three bed so that I could have an office, but maybe I'd be happy to compromise on that. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge, spacious house. I think it's just actually you realise having that outdoor space makes a big difference. Having parking makes a big difference. Things that make your life easier versus things being Instagram worthy or seeming particularly impressive is fine. I would be willing to move further out as well. So I guess that is part of it.
2: I mean, I think the advantage of that is that you drive.
0: Oh, yeah, that's
2: true. If I wasn't going to live in London, I'd love to move back to Devon. But the thing is, I don't drive, and that's a place where you need to be able to drive. London, you can get public transport everywhere, but then driving adds on expenses of insurance and like petrol and everything. And then that's another thing going out of the bank account.
0: <laughs> on one hand, driving is more expensive and it's like an extra requirement for a house because if you have to park, I, I mean, I've lived places where I've had to park. 20 minutes walk away because there was no parking because Watford is like that and actually I always think oh people who don't have cars I could live in one of these lovely penthouses right by the station that doesn't have like doesn't have parking but doesn't need it but then yeah if you're somewhere else where it's actually really required.
2: I actually had an interesting thought about you know how you were saying you had your five-year plan that might turn into seven-year plans because of affordability and all that. This may be a, probably a discussion for, for last episode but would you use bank mum and dad twice. Is that a thing you could do?
0: I know people who have yeah. who they've needed to. Sometimes it's like the other parent, like the other mm. partner's parents. So one helped with the first time. Yeah. It feels a bit like you're taking the mick, right? Like it does.
2: Yeah, that's that's my I thought like like do do you do that? Is that fair <laughs> to ask them to help you again? I mean
0: I do you know what? I know a bunch of people who've bought their first home by like moving somewhere where they like if one of them's got an elderly parent or like a single parent and they've moved and had an annex built or they've moved into a huge house and had the parent there as well I know quite a few people who have beautiful homes <laughs> where they've included the parent in that so actually sometimes it's about looking beyond the standard I suppose if, if you have a really good relationship with your parent or your partner's parent and they're happy to help you out I mean for some people it really works I mean for a lot of cultures that is very normal yeah and I know the couple of people I know who've done it it's worked out really well with childcare as well so maybe like you say not looking at the perfect beautiful house and then working backwards but actually looking at it as a problem to be solved and what are the potential solutions that could work especially bear in mind that not everything's forever if you're pulling someone else in to move in with you maybe that is a bit more of a commitment but not everything has to be a long-term solution
1: yeah I think sometimes I fall into the trap of saying there's no point in buying yet because I don't know where I'm going to be in five or ten years or where I'm going to want to be but you can sell your house and and you can sell it for more depending on what's what's going on in the market at that time but I have this fear of buying somewhere and, and putting my all into it and then not wanting to be there in a few years but that's not necessary and it's an investment like you say so it is that sort of like jump but I suppose that's because I haven't entered the ladder yet. Maybe that's just sort of a trepidation thing.
2: Yeah, that's the thing with renting is like if you don't like your place you can just move when the lease is up.
1: Yeah. And it is it's common to start with renting now, isn't it? More common than not. Yeah. My parents don't understand that. That sort of
2: Yeah. I had that yeah. my parents like, You're just throwing money away. It's like, well but it's regular. That's my best option right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's how we used to think, you know, people didn't live together before they got married. And actually, pretty much a terrible idea to marry someone you've never lived with. <laughs> And this is the same thing, right? It's, it's a practice run for figuring out how to live on your own, how to live with other people if you're living with housemates, how to be independent, how to manage. All of the things you have to manage with rent and bills and utilities and all that stuff, but you have a slight support in that some of the costs will be covered by landlords. So it's very easy to look at average numbers and not realise that in many ways they can be meaningless. If there's a huge range, they can be skewed so dramatically to seeming more expensive. London brings up average house prices all the time compared to the rest of the UK. So you look at average prices and it's pretty terrifying. And then the 10% deposit often looks huge and kind of insurmountable. But as we've talked about today, things are flexible. There are things within your control. You are gonna build a career. You are gonna make more money. You are gonna have bonuses. You are going to continue to grow and develop. Similarly, your savings are gonna grow as long as you start as soon as possible and continue to do it. Even when it feels little by little, it's it's all working towards the same goal. Rounding up our episode on affordability, what do you guys feel like you've taken away from today?
2: I think I've taken away that it's not just about one thing. There's many different things that can affect it. And if one thing isn't working out for you, there might be another way that you can realise that you have, have affordability in your future. It's not always as bleak as you think it might be. You might just have to look at things from a different perspective.
1: Yeah, I think I would take away from it, a lot of people are in the same boat as you. The savings from people in my age group have made me feel good, but also bad. But I'm not doing that bad. I'm not doing as bad as I thought I was. And to work smart and hard, if that makes sense. So don't start with the prettiest flasso house start with what you know you can do where you where you know you can be on a roadmap whether it be a few years or five or six or seven and and work from there
0: yeah I think I've taken away that affordability is about control and you do have elements of control you may not have control of everything but you can pick one thing or another and control as much as you can so thank you all for listening to our episode on the affordability trifecta our next episode coming up is about finding a diamond in the rough property with property expert and property legend, Kate Faulkner, who will be with us.
1: You've been listening to Make Your Move, the podcast here to make moving simple. We hope you found this episode useful, but as always, everyone's situations are different. So make sure to do your own research before making your move. Make Your Move is brought to you by Really Moving, the price comparison site for moving home services. If you have any experiences or questions you'd like to share or ask that might be put on a later episode, please email us at podcast at reallymoving.com. See you on the next episode.